0: Um, I didn't realize that
1: was the... I've known a couple people
0: who can't do uh, okay, okay, okay. this out. Um, and you, you continue to associate with these people? No, I don't. I should have said I have known those people. You have known. You have, known, you have met. <laughs> yeah. In passing. Um, also voted today. Oh, uh,
1: congratulations. Yeah, which wasn't... Who did you vote for? Are you allowed to say?
0: Yeah, I'm allowed to say, I, I begrudging, right? I begrudgingly, I've like, I've I put up a big thing about being like, oh, I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden. I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden. <laughs> but I think I most recently listened to a Naomi Klein interview and then didn't listen to anything else okay, okay. in between then. Well, that's how we now. all operate, it, isn't it? You just yeah. respond to the most me- exactly. recent piece of media you exactly. listen to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. she was like, more intelligent opinion. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I, yeah, I voted for him very angrily. Um, yes. but then I, yeah, most of it is just, it, there's just always stupid. Stupid crap on ballots, and especially in California, it's like we just vote for everything, down to like this isn't literal, but like it, like dog catcher stuff like that. Sure, and it's yeah, like, yeah. oh god, it's always such an effort because I always oh, yeah. want to like look. You these voted for up, Joe
1: Biden but... accidentally when you thought he was going yeah, exactly. to dog catcher. Yeah, exactly. But,
0: yeah. I was like, yeah. wow, he'd be really good at that. <laughs>
1: um, what and, would Joe Biden be really good at?
0: Um, <laughs> but uh, I could see him being a good guy. Have you ever seen the Eddie Murphy movie? The one, is it coming to America where they're like the two old guys in the barbershop? I, um, I All right, it well, it's an Eddie Murphy movie and they go to a barbershop and they're always just like these two old men who are played by Eddie Murphy, I'm pretty sure. And they're just like <laughs> talking shit and like just being like grumpy old men in the barbershop. He'd be good at that. Okay, He'd be really okay, good okay, at okay, that. Okay. Him and Corn Pop could do it. Okay. Um, Maybe we'll let him know. <laughs> let him know. Yeah. He, I am on a Slack with Joe Biden. Okay. So <laughs> he's in the local uh, DSA chapter um, that I'm in. Well, should we just Free go you in for the DSA? it? Uh, technically.
1: Does well, do, does the, DSA, the DSA charge dues, don't they? And they're quite... Here's the thing. Quite, okay. Here's the thing. The dues are <laughs> very are steep. You are The dues are very steep. Yeah, no, what I heard. Very expensive yeah, to be in yeah. the DSA. Yeah.
0: Hopefully no DSA uh, cops are listening to this. <laughs> but when I went back home, I realized yeah. that there was a DSA chapter uh, in the county that I live in. The county that I live in isn't that big. Um, and, uh, I okay. and I messaged <laughs> him... You were the chapter. Yeah, oh, exactly. Okay. Honestly, pretty close. And I messaged the president. And he was just like, they have their own websites. Usually I think on DSA membership websites, it's like, you know, you want to become a member, here's the PayPal or whatever, like pay for it. And then, um, the one in the County I live in or that I'm from, was just like it's such a bad website that it's just like sign up just put your email in you're in the DSA so I did that <laughs> okay, okay technically yes now i guess uh-huh. i am in the DSA uh-huh. and it was yeah, funny yeah. cuz i just got an email I and mean, there's
1: probably a lot of organizations that would like to claim their mailing list is their yeah. membership so. Exactly. exactly <laughs> exactly well,
0: it was really funny cuz i got an email last week and they're were like we're doing our drive to get new members and they said something like we're looking to uh, up our membership by like 200% which means we need like 10 extra <laughs> people and I was just like oh man
1: oh no God of the revolution yeah if, if you were there if you were there
0: yeah well I, I get the emails so okay. to answer your question am I in the DSA I don't know I get the emails <laughs> you have no, to yeah. ask the DSA <laughs> you have to ask the DSA yeah okay yeah. Um, they'll have you yeah have you. I was I was on one of their um, uh, what's it called like zoom meetings um, it was good smart people um it was cool. It was just good to see. Because my best, county, the best, the best, <laughs> the best people. my county is not necessarily the best um, in California. Um, but yeah, it was just good to see those people. I, I think I, I mentioned Lennon at one point. Like, this old guy was like, what? <laughs> so, what are you going to yeah, do? Yeah,
1: the DSA could go pretty much any way. Yeah, any yeah. Way. so I don't, I don't know if the
0: DSA wants me. But hey, Big Ten. So, Big, ten. Big Yeah. Ten. Yeah. Ideologically, not in terms of actual numbers. Small ten in terms of numbers.
1: yeah. Ten ideologies, eight people. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. what are you going to do?
1: Yeah, I feel um, like I've got a few different ideologies any given day. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and now we're trying to narrow those down.
1: Um, yeah, welcome to auxiliary statements. Auxiliary statements. Yeah, welcome the to auxiliary podcast statements. Podcast where we try and work out how to be socialists. Yeah, exactly. In, in theory, and just talk shit. Yeah, we'll just talk shit. <laughs> um, I'm Jack. I'm Dan. Um, and yeah, I guess
0: we'll just get right into it as promised. To all of our fans. We're we might doing... have promised them
1: the whole book. We definitely we managed a chapter.
0: We managed a chapter. Um, uh, Ralph Miliband's Marxism and Politics. Uh, technically this is chapter two. Um, class and conflict. How'd you get on with it?
1: Um, it was good. It was yeah. good. Um. I was just saying before it's an introductory book and mm. we only read one chapter of that so <laughs> quite a lot of things yeah. not fully elucidated and it was also mm. written in 1977 so yeah. there are a few places he's still quite sanguine on the industrial working class yeah he's also still quite sanguine on the idea that revolutionary con- class consciousness will come if we just uh, or at least he at least leaves a few things open which um, mm. is that something about Maoists? state a little point. bit yeah, yeah there's a little bit of a slight against the Maoists <laughs> yeah,
0: which was very rich. I was like damn yeah. okay jeez yeah yeah yeah.
1: I'd rather not get into the debate about what the Soviet Union was because <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's it's, it's a rabbit hole. Yeah, we'll save that for another time yeah, um, yeah. when it becomes
0: revealed that we're all uh, this is a, this is a Maoist, if not Juche, it's podcast. So.
1: Okay, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll uh, when it oh, when it's yeah when the uh, Central Committee of the Chinese Communist Party <laughs> revealed their. Uh, Fifty-year plan to exactly. still socialism. One of these days, yeah. by being the most ruthless capitalist in the world, yeah, yeah, But not exactly. quite the most ruthless. Perhaps I think it's the long game. It is the long game, perhaps. Yeah, mm. yeah. Forget the mm. Lenin rising from the tomb and the Simpsons. Is now, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. yeah, Must destroy
0: capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> um, classic, classic. I feel like because I, I, Simpsons, absolutely classic show. One of my favorite, if not like, definitely my favorite show. To perhaps favorite creative venture ever. And I remember seen that episode when i was a kid and i was just like man russia is so crazy all those communists <laughs> they're so crazy man there's a communist country it's called russia that's so nuts um one of these days i'd like to go see Lenin's body i think that'd be kind of cool can you hmm. still
1: i've really no idea yeah cool i think go. it's a bit it's a bit macabre it and is. also it's very macabre yeah and also i think yeah just put him in the ground put him in the ground, put him yeah. In the ground. yeah you can't I mean I, I mean I don't want to be too like I mean, it's just, it's material, this podcast, it's just, it's just well, it's not even yeah. going to rot anymore, it's yeah. just well, very well-preserved yeah. carbon-based matter. Yeah, but, it's creepy. Um,
0: but, lay him to rest. You know who I would go see, eventually, if he ever dies, is Putin? I think that would be just in completely different vibe, but I'd like to go see that, I think that'd be pretty funny.
1: Do you think, you think he's aiming for, like... Uh, embalm to be to be embalmed kind. yeah pickled yeah i get the
0: feeling he'll be like he'll be pickled standing up though whereas okay. Lenin's kind of like laying down <laughs> lying yeah he'll yeah, be like yeah, pointing yeah. or something like that yeah, like with make, a, on his
1: horse. make a dramatic statue yeah
0: like when it like whoever that chinese emperor was who got buried with all the terracotta warriors but they're actual li- like russians yeah, 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 who he just yeah, yeah, killed yeah, yeah, and like yeah, yeah. put inside that'd be cool yeah anyway what we're talking about we're talking about marxism politics um, I don't really know how to intro this. I guess we kind of did, but I mean, this conflict, uh, or this chapter, um, as I guess kind of tell by the title, all about introducing class, um, the ideas of conflict and class, and putting them together for class conflict. Um, he does, yeah, he does, he does do a pretty good job, I think, of just going over all of the basic ideas but in a really clear way but also kind of challenging some ideas of classical marxism or at least maybe elucidating them more than you would hear it like your local dsa chapter you know what i mean <laughs> like he doesn't just give you the like proletariat and bourgeoisie he kind of goes into that and
1: you know yeah it's a combination of using marx if not against the marxists then at least um, yeah. in collaboration with them it does a really good job of in the in the middle parts of the chapter like um Introducing us to a idea of um, class analysis sort of starts to break down society into various different classes. But yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. I, mean, he, he, I mean, he kicks off um, uh, with a re- really quite an enjoyable read, um, a discussion about conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two kind of kinds of conflict. The, yeah, right. yeah, he's suggesting that conflict is uh, central to politics, both mm-hmm. central to Marxist politics, but uh, central to politics politics. Uh, of various types but mm. read in various different ways and he does this has this process of um, comparing marxist politics to liberal politics and mm. their conception of conflict
0: yeah do you want to do you want to give us that that i guess it's what the second paragraph in the liberal view politics why don't
1: you go ahead or i can just try and synthesize it
0: i'll go i'll go because i think it's got some good points So he says, in the liberal view of politics, conflict exists in terms of problems which need to be solved. The hidden assumption is that conflict does not or need not run very deep, that it can be managed by the exercise of reason and goodwill and a readiness to compromise and agree. On this view, politics is not civil war conducted by other means, but a process, a constant process of bargaining and accommodation on the basis of accepted procedures and between parties who have decided that as a preliminary that they could and wanted to live together more or less harmoniously. Not only is this sort of conflict not injurious to society, it has positive advantages. It is not only civilized, but civilizing. It is not only a means of resolving problems in a peaceful way, but also of producing new ideas, ensuring progress, achieving ever greater harmony, and so on. Conflict is functional, a stabilizing force, rather than a disruptive force. So in a perfect world, that'd be good. Yeah, that'd be that's, great. Sounds sweet. That's that'd be sweet. really, really
1: great. Yeah, it's basically pluralism, right? Like everybody, yeah. all opinions are valid, and we'll put them all together, and we'll um, work out the most reasonable, rational synthesis of all of the interests. Um, and if any disequilibrium emerges, then we'll restore equilibrium yeah harmony yeah by acting yeah. in good faith yes yeah, all... yeah yeah yeah. because the world's full of good faith actors exactly yeah, and exactly i mean i think yeah. yeah
0: that's one of the things i wrote down is just that it implies good faith on whoever is being arbitrated between it implies good faith on the mm-hmm. behalf of the arbitrator mm-hmm. and um also equal footing right absolutely implies... i mean that's the crucial one yeah. when we
1: come on some of marx's definition is yeah. like we do not live in a world where everybody's on equal footing there is yeah. There are people who are dominated and mm. oppressed and exploited, and there yeah. are people who are do those do that yeah. exploitation. And and I, yeah,
0: and I guess I guess this is super prevalent for a lot of reasons. But I mean, one of the reasons is because yeah, this probably does work if your idea of like when somebody's a conflict is like you know like your kid threw his frisbee in my yard again and like broke my window. You know what I mean? But it's like this this totally does not allow for any kind of institutional analysis, does it? Uh-huh. Or of uh, yeah, uh, yeah. really like any kind yeah. of um, political real world how things work right sure yeah um and it also um treats everything as individuals kind of like absolutely
1: yeah all all conflicts are between individuals or groups of individuals perhaps Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. whereas for marx for marxism Mm -hmm. is interested in a very different category of thing Mm -hmm. like he talks about um social aggregates yeah, um, yeah, absolutely Otherwise known as classes Yeah, wow <laughs> um, Who potentially come into conflict with each other So it's not a question of like uh, Individuals on an equal footing with an equal position But um, groups of people determined by a role that they fulfill in society um, And a relation which is predetermined by yeah, yeah that, that relationality Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 And so exactly. So the Marxist approach, he says, is very different. And I mean, I guess it's it just acts as a way to get around all of those problems, right? So this view of conflict, uh, miliband says, is not a matter of problems to be solved, but a state of domination and subject subjection. Sorry, to be ended only by a total transformation of the conditions which gave rise to it. No doubt, this kind of conflict can be attenuated, but only because the ruling class is, by one means or another uh coercion concessions or persuasion to prevent the subordinate classes from seeking emancipation and this is the key bit right here ultimately stability is not a matter of reason but of force the antagonists are irreconcilable and the notion of genuine harmony is a deception or a delusion at least in the relation to class societies so it's a lot less of like a uh uh my boss did this thing to me i'm gonna take him to court and have this totally fair you know ar- uh, arbitration by the state um it's a lot more of conflict. Is something that's always happening, right? It's constant, and it has to do with um, kind of the chafing of of classes, right? Yeah yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, And it has upswings and it has downswings. Or there are uh, more prevalent examples that you can point to. Here are pe- here are classes in conflict, either in a, a strike or um, or even a a contest in normal political circumstances, kind of thing. But mm-hmm. it's always present, as you say, and like. All of the relations between you and your your boss or your employer, or your relationships, even between the state or uh, all mm. these kind of all these different interactions that you have with uh, class and class relations, which people are having all the time, or classes are yeah. experiencing all the time. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's something I'd like to learn to look for much more in the world in which I live. Like mm. we, I feel like I'm so we are so conditioned to look at the world in which we live and see the sort of liberal version of conflict um to to be to expect to be given a fair shake kind of thing but like you can, we you could have a much better it would be good to develop a much better reading of the world which is like, you investigate it for all those points of like, tension and torsion that mm. that are class based and sort of symptoms of a uh, the broader process of exploitation is happening absolutely yeah. yeah 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 yeah,
0: and this as i think as i think can is pretty apparent does allow for that institutional analysis because it forces that right you can't have this view of conflict as these you know it's kind of like sociological reading of like these two things called classes butting up against each other um without understanding where those come from um how they're formed and how that affects you and everybody you are related to and i don't mean like that in like a familial way i mean that in like uh, everybody in kind of like your social, social bubble relations. social relations yeah. yeah um where those come from and how that works right um should we read that uh grundrissa quote? quote yeah mm-hmm. yeah so uh, miliband quotes to kind of explain a little bit more um about what class actually is he quotes the grundrissa um and he says that to marx society does not consist of individuals but expresses the sum of interrelations, the relations within which these individuals stand. As if someone were to say, seen from the perspective of society, there are no slaves and no citizens. Both are human beings. Rather, they are that outside society. To be a slave, to be a citizen, are social characteristics, relations between human beings A and B. Human being A, as such, is not a slave. He is a slave in and through society. Um, yeah, I mean, that just kind of says it right. That yeah, is yeah. a very succinct um, way of explaining what class is. Yeah,
1: yeah. and um, yeah. yeah, clearly um, written under the gaze of Hegel, Marx still operating, um, or continue to operate throughout his life with the uh, this history, or maybe baggage, depending mm-hmm. on your position. of like, Hegelianism, but a really Hegelian point that, like, you are nothing without the things in which you stand in relation to, like, you are defined by those Um and it's nice to see that there's nothing nothing specific about any particular human being, um, nothing specific about uh, relations between human beings in general. All of these problems stem from social relations, which are a product of a particular social arrangement, mm. Um, mm. and therefore those social arrangements and social relations can be changed. Absolutely, yeah. In yeah. theory, hopefully. in theory, yeah, hopefully. yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember when I was like quite a bit younger and um i had like first heard of Marx. i like went to like my local bookstore and i saw the Grundrissa on like the shelf and i couldn't really see it and like went to go grab it off the shelf and i was like i'm gonna read this and It's just like this huge book that like fell and almost like broke my toe and i just put it back and i was like okay yeah, never mind yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's not yeah, reading that i
1: mean if you'd have opened it you'd have found it um, yeah. probably more challenging <laughs> exactly, <laughs> i'd yeah. rather just drop this on my phone yeah, like, exactly worry, worry. Exactly, yeah. yeah. yeah but great. at least one good quote there.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, also, I've never read
1: the Guinness or made much effort to, so I shouldn't slight it in that respect. Yeah, I mean, sure it's, it's, a, it's a collection of notes that <laughs> exactly, were written yeah. to aid Marx in the writing of Capital and then yeah. were subsequently published. Yeah, um, yeah. Very late in the 1950s or 60s, I think. So yeah. it, it stands in this position of um, uh, suddenly really changing people's perspective on the writings of Marx. Mm. Uh, led to the d- discipline of Marxist humanism and mm. um, quite a lot of re-evaluations of how people thought about Marx and mm. what, his, what his position was. But yeah. that's, a, that's a broader background. That's not going to... Well, thank you. With that. I always, man,
0: what a fascinating, I guess, job. I don't know how else to say it. But that would have been just experience to just be one of the people who's just like yeah, yeah, yeah. opens the yeah. storage container. Because what, what did
1: Marx actually publish in his <laughs> lifetime? Like, the, the Communist Manifesto, Manifesto <laughs> yeah. and the first volume of Capital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there uh, there may be other things. Mm. There are speeches that he gave, which yeah. probably counters as publication. Yeah. Uh, obviously, he was a journalist for much of his life, so mm. a lot of his journalistic work was published. But mm. um, lots of those things that we think of as being key texts. Yeah. We talk about, like, Volume 2 and 3 of Capital as if they were sort of sub- subsequent works, but... like. Uh... Mm. Just much like the Grundrisse, and like collections of notes and addendums. And yeah. Do you know if, you know if
0: those thing. notes are in all of the, like in all of his letters and everything, do you know if those were kind of uh, in the custody of Engels? Or do you know if they were like in I mean, there's quite a few or... things
1: were published after Marx's death, but by, by Engels, Engels yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether that was in a systematic way or to settle political disputes that were being had at the time kind of thing. Yeah. Um, hmm. But yeah. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean the study of um, Anyway well,
0: uh, Epistemology? <laughs> no, 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 no <laughs> um, uh, Ornithology?
1: No hmm. uh, I don't have ideas uh-huh. Uh-huh. There's, a, there's, a, there's a study of the specifics of the, the text And the history of the text
0: Oh, oh, historiography? Yeah, something yeah, like that Something, like that, something like that <laughs> Well, okay, directly after quoting the grun- Grundrissa Which up until a couple days ago I was pronouncing Grundrissa So thank you, Dan um miliband basically goes into kind of i I suppose he's saying this next bit as kind of like a way to immediately um halt anyone from maybe like having a critical uh reaction to that uh definition of class too much because he says more on more or less just something like um, well, sure. Okay, you might read this and think, well, there is uh, 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 social mobility and upward mobility and all this stuff, and it is semi-fluid uh, uh, between classes. And he also says something along the lines of, what does he say, um, oh, you might not feel totally antagonistic towards another like other members of class, or like you might like one guy, or like oh, you might like Elon Musk or something like that, which we won't get into. But um, he basically says that um, that doesn't mean that there isn't always conflict right in other ways it's not just about you it's not just about like your personal feelings Mm -hmm. because you might say oh wow uh jeff bezos i love what he's doing with amazon but you might also like i don't know work at amazon and your job sucks you know what i mean that's like a very like direct example yeah i mean he's
1: making the i mean the quite obvious retort that one would make to somebody who was saying well everybody should just Pull themselves up by their bootstraps yeah. kind of thing. Like yeah. we can't all pull ourselves up to the same position. Like they're, they're always like, like these people of enriched. I mean, uh, they're uber rich of of today. Jeff Bezos and the like are like yeah. a category all unto themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but speaking more generally, like you can't all be yeah. Property owning capitalists
0: Exactly Which is also I feel like Now I don't know I can't really get too much Of a sense of it out here I mean I guess it's everywhere But definitely in America With the idea of the American dream And stuff There is this idea That you can pull yourself up By the bootstraps But you just Whenever you hear that You just want to be like Uh You know Oprah specifically Is like a statistical (laughs) anomaly That's happened to like Eight people You know what I mean
1: I mean I can understand I mean I mean America was founded As this kind of like uh, There was that much land You could go and get your parcel Yeah um the development of classes took a really interesting was it was, was it was a really inter- interesting process in america the development of classes mm. um something that i'm not really to speak on we should think about <laughs> it in future perhaps but yeah like, um,
0: well it's interesting i uh, when i was back home most recently i was reading um philip Fauner's first volume of it's, it's some very literal title it's like a history of the american working class or history of the labor movement in the, in, Amer- in the united states and it's basically just from colonial times to, I think, the founding of the AFL, which is a very long time. But um, he says that right after the Revolutionary War, it really took capitalists a long time to like get people working in factories and to
1: even be interested... After, after the Civil War, you said? Oh,
0: no, no, I'm sorry, after the Revolution. The Revolution, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, to get people interested in buying things enough, because it's like, oh, if you could just go and get your own land, which was like one of the main promises right, of the Revolution, mm-hmm. um, if you could just go and do that then people were still just making clothes in their houses and they were so self-sufficient that it was like a guy might have enough money to go to like Ohio or I guess not Ohio, like new England or something like that and set up a factory. But it's like, it, it took I a lot it of ups and downs convince to people do to that. To, yeah. I mean, it'd be a, it would be
1: really interesting to, to uh, I would enjoy I'd like mm. to learn more about like, that process of how that was yeah. forced upon people. Um, yeah it looks like it, or what kind of like state action or yeah a lot of state know. action
0: yeah, yeah yeah it looks it seems like it was they tried it a couple times and it seemed like it was working then it failed um because i guess the british well yeah we're getting sidetracked but i guess the british really didn't want them to industrialize so they were constantly like stopping it and people were like well we don't need this <laughs> but um he also goes on to say miliband i mean that um uh i'll just quote this paragraph again the focus always is on class antagonism this is on page 20 for me is on class antagonism and class conflict this does not mean that marxism does not recognize the existence of other kinds of conflict within these societies and between them ethnic religious national etc but it does consider these rivalries conflicts and wars as directly or indirectly derived from or related to class conflicts whether it is right and then it just kind of has like a little like cya because it's like whether it's right or not to do so is beside the point i'm not going to answer that question
1: but i mean I, think I mean that's... It's, yeah, we, it's important for us to footnote in the way that he footnotes <laughs> exactly because exactly. It, he sort of glosses over the idea yeah. and um, yeah. yeah from this text we're not in a position to sort of like explain the interactions or the lack of interaction between yeah. like class oppression and other types of oppression and, uh, yeah. Yeah. and the like but it, yeah, it's, yeah it's really important, it is important to note that like yeah. Miliband and I think also Marx in his own way and that's definitely very much willing to recognise like Sure. Depression of people on the basis of race or like sexual orientation sure or yeah, yeah, yeah. it
0: got it got me kind of thinking about like but if the, i go ahead but at the same time those things interact right exactly like, exactly yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah like it got me thinking about if i was kind of trying to like debunk this if i was like some chud if i what i would say and i would probably say something about maybe to like recent example like the rwandan genocide or something like that being like that was clearly ethnic mm-hmm. um tensions and it exploded and you know what are you gonna you know checkmate uh, Karl Marx? What are you mm-hmm. gonna talk about there? But then it's like okay, well if you think about the history of Rwanda as it exists as the geographical borders of Rwanda, mm-hmm. the only reason that there were really those um, you know warring ethnicities, quote unquote, the Hutus and the Tutsis, was because of Belgian mismanagement. I suppose it was the Belgians. What I mean, Belgians, a, what, what,
1: right, I mean what, my my understanding of this, mm. uh, nothing to quote from. Mm. Take it as my. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, um, that uh, those categories had very little meaning exactly until colonialism happened.
0: Well, exactly, and uh, it's it specifically the Belgians, and that was in like the twentieth century because the sure, Belgians yeah. came in and they were like, "You guys, you know, you are the better ones, and you should uh, be like, you know, very typical kind of like ruling class playing yeah. off of the tensions or just completely inventing tensions mm-hmm. between what you could describe as a working class or even just slave population." Um, and so yeah you could you could have a reading of it where it was very much uh tensions caused by um ruling class conflict with yeah. working class it feels so brutal to say working class but yeah mm-hmm. yeah i suppose yeah i suppose i just well, to i mean i w-
1: would like to know more about that case but it sort of sounds mm-hmm. like your the belgians there were in- introducing mm-hmm. class into a society through whatever means there were that existed exactly. already and then, yeah i mean like, much later, like maybe it's it's worth doing another footnote now much later mm-hmm. well a little bit later in this chapter he just talks about like uh class analysis of the third world uh he yeah. doesn't say a great deal about it it's yeah. cursory in the same fashion um and obviously this is in the 70s so like the things yeah. have developed much very much since then but mm. um the uh the legacy of colonialism he 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 suggests it leads to a degree of uniqueness mm. amongst other things yeah um, along with other things yeah it's uniqueness in the in the in the composition of class relations in third world countries mm. in some ways like he suggests as a sort of like local middle strata of capitalists and then the mm. uh the biggest capitalist institutions are uh, the from the first world kind of yeah, thing yeah
0: um, or, yeah which i think totally holds true to this day mm-hmm. absolutely um yeah, I mean, that's not really, like, a hot take. That's just yeah, that's the way things <laughs> work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then I guess he goes on to really kind of try to apply these ideas to politics, right? And to talk about, um, okay, well, now that we have these ideas, we have these definitions, what does this mean on a, on the political sphere? And so he talks a little bit about class consciousness, right? He talks about what it means to be class, class conscious. Um, and he basically says, okay, this is really easy for... Well, it's funny, too, because he just immediately falls back on these terms of bourgeoisie and proletariat after basically this whole thing of being like, for a lot of this chapter, he's like, well, we can't really define, you know, what it means to be working class. It's hard to define kind of what it means to be bourgeoisie, especially now because, you know, like the managerial class and because of like the service industry and all this stuff. But he kind of does what most Marxists do. Right. And we were talking about this a bit about he just eventually just falls back on the. Vocabulary of Borzoi proletariat, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It's very funny because I mean, again, like he does spend so much time in this chapter, trying to attempting to define working class. Now that we have these ideas of conflict and of class, that you can't do that every time you want to talk about these ideas, right? So he kind of just does again, just fall back on yeah, Borzoi proletariat,
1: you know? Sure, yeah. I mean, it that that, that does have some relevance when he gets to, he, so he, so. Basically, he um he yeah the f- the first the first section of this chapter is all about like conflict we basically covered it in a lot of respects i think and then yeah and then as you say he goes on to talk about consciousness right he sets up this idea from marx that um or a distinction between classes being in themselves existing in themselves as opposed to existing for themselves like mm-hmm. um uh, the arrangements of capitalist society uh bring these groupings these social aggregates these classes into existence um, but then it takes a certain experience of living under those, those conditions to mm. lead um, classes to reconcile themselves as classes. Mm. Um, he suggests that Marx suggests that classes, or the working class in particular, like um, doesn't really exist until it has a, a political expression. Mm. Um, he talks about um, them needing a political party in some respects. Mm. Um, but basically just class necessarily for Marx has some kind of um political component because it's always a it, there is a there is a um collective experience of living under a certain set of social relations which necessitates that which 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 um so yeah he's he's basically sort of like developing um we it feels like there's a little bit of a contradiction in some respects because like initially he says like classes exist because of conflict so um they are an innate thing in the society um and then, to, then he sort of develops some develops that to say that classes exist when they are conscious of uh, their interest. Well, does, uh, does and he then say that prepared for, to sort of fight for their interest? Yeah, does okay.
0: he say that for for both classes? And I guess just being being broad and saying the two, the ruling class and the working class, or the subjugated class, does he say that for both, or does he say that that's only really the case for the working class? Because I mean, I guess are you just innately class conscious if you're part of the ruling class?
1: Um, I mean, he, he suggests that it's much easier for them to recognize they are, their mm-hmm. self-interest.
0: Well, I guess he says, um, when he's discussing kind of the capitalist class, the ruling class, he says, the capitalist class, however, extends well beyond these interests and includes many people who fulfill specific professional and other functions on behalf of these interests, who are in various ways by virtue of status, occupation, kinship, etc., cetera, kinship um, associated with them. And that's, that kind of hits on kind of what you're saying about just that idea of status and about how he, because he kind of then brings it back into the working class. He says that to, even though it's hard to have a strict definition of what the working class is, and we'll get into that in a sec, but he says that like the idea of status has a lot to do with it, right? And I don't know, that was something that interested me because it's like, that's, you know it when you see it, right? But it's not like, like, God, how could you, I don't know, status, how could you write that down and define that? You know Mm -hmm, what I
1: mean? mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it it brings in a, a, quite a lot of complicated um, aspects of class. Clearly, in this, what what's usually attached to Marx and Marxism is a very sort of like economic def- definition of class. Um, but if you talk to people in this country about class, it takes on a huge range of like cultural signifiers. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we've gotten to the, sort of like the ludicrous point now, where yeah. in this country, like if you if you live in a town in the north of england you used to work in industrial um industrial setting but you're retired probably Mm -hmm. on a reasonable pension um a pension that's been protected by um multiple uh administrations and parties in government because like they're short file voters to try and win and you probably also own your own house you might even own other ones and then you're a rentier kind of thing but you get to be called working class because you're white and you used to work in an industrial setting whereas like if you live in an inner city and you're from a uh, um an ethnic minority background say and you work a precarious job and um but you you may have gone to university because like mm. everybody goes to, you know, a great, yeah. great number of people go to university now because that option has been opened up to a lot of people. You suddenly have some sort of signifiers that don't really marry with what we want to traditionally talk about as culturally working class. Exactly.
0: Like yeah. 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 And there's a bit where he says the working class is therefore part of that collective laborer which produces surplus value. Right. So that's kind of like the typical classical Marxist. This is what working class is. They produce surplus value from a position of subordination and at the lower ends of the income scale and also at the lower lower ends of what might be called the scale of regard. So two of those ideas, I mean, lower ends of the income scale, kind of like what you're saying, that's pretty obvious. But I mean, position of subordination, it's a little bit, that's, that's yeah, I guess that's fairly more obvious. But also the scale of regard, how do you define the scale of regard? Because that would be like, is it through the lens of the ruling class? Is it through the lens of the working class? Because if it's through the lens of the working class, it's just going to be like, I don't know, he's just some schmuck working a job like me, you know what I mean? But it's like, that made me think about the scale of regard must be something that's filtered through cultural phenomenon, like almost like the media. Yeah, although
1: he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't really give very much of a definition of what he means by exactly. scale of regard. Yeah. He just sort of throws it out there. Mm. Um, I'm wondering whether it's possible for um, the system itself to care. Yeah. To have higher regard for certain people and point. others. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the... Um, if we were thinking of capitalism as having a regard, it would have highest regard for those people who own capital and are able to deploy it in such a way as they can create more capital from the use of capital kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, th- those people in the best position to expand uh, capital. Yeah. Uh, people, I mean, if you talk about capital having an interest, it's the further expansion, the growth of capital kind of thing. Yeah. And capitalist firms are yeah. dedicated to that task.
0: It might, it's also, it might just be something where it's like a, 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 some sort of occupation that you can answer the question of like, what are you doing in terms of like when somebody's like, oh, so what are you sure, doing yeah, with yeah, a que- yeah, with yeah, an answer yeah, yeah, that's like, yeah. not just, oh, I do a very simple job, you know what I mean? Because it's like, I, like, I don't know when, as a personal example, it's like when I tell people from back home, they're like, oh, so what are you doing out in England? It's like I work in a warehouse, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? That's not like a job that is like uh, something that you're told you should aspire to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it is like. If I were to be like, oh, what are you doing? It's like, oh, I work in finance. You know what I mean? Or like, I work uh, in media, or I work in, um, I don't know. Like, do you see the distinction I'm making? Maybe that it's Mm -hmm. just like Mm -hmm. a job that has connotations. Some some yeah cultural signifiers attached to it. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That 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 phrase scale of regard. um, It's like I know exactly what it means, Mm -hmm. but it just really tripped me up as something that could be just so subjective.
1: Mm Yeah, I mean, he's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because he's he's um. He's introduced this idea that in Marx, I read, like, uh, um, there is a distinction between objective and uh, subjective um, mm-hmm. definitions of class. And so he basically uses the middle third of this chapter to try and talk about the objective conditions of class. And then later on, he talks about subjective, which is mostly just referring to consciousness in that regard, I think. But he has, he's, he's discovered for himself a problem right he's he's he suggested if you just described that like um marx's interest he's trying to define the working class and he's interested in um he defines them as productive workers uh and what does he mean by that like people who um whose labor can be bought um and then that labor can be deployed to make more money than it costs to employ that labor mm. i mean that's the basic mechanism of capitalism right you, yeah like, you pay somebody less than the value of what they produce and then you pocket the rest mm. uh, surplus value but he's, yeah and he goes on to say that could that could that could fit a whole whole host of different categories right um it's not necessarily industrial workers and it's not necessarily workers who are producing a one very specific thing it could be lots of people contributing to the production of a thing and you you're a bit sort of lost as to what it is necessary that you're contributing to Mm. Um, so that's where he introduces this idea of the collective labourer because like um, it's a whole different collection of people that contribute to a task of labouring to an end product that might be forgotten kind of thing or people facilitate the um, the, they facilitate something making like somebody who puts uh, stock on shelves in the supermarket right like they've not produced something in the sense of like a physical product but they're facilitating the ability for those goods to realize the value that they have installed in them by um, putting them on the shelves and exactly making them ready to be sold um, but then he
0: but also he also says though that if you include that as the definition that you kind of also which he does you have to include like some white collar workers right?
1: sure yeah, yeah and not even like white collar and service workers but also mm. um managerial staff uh executive personnel I mean what I think what like tech workers in some respects kind mm-hmm. of thing like people um people who we in sort of current, current contemporary nomenclature you might call the professional managerial class yeah um, which he brings up but right? it, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 but he he thinks that that those people who um contribute to uh the that process of uh, collectively laboring to produce a thing extends all the way to potentially like the topmost layers of capitalist society. Mm. Um and so this is why you're saying like we need to find some kind of cutoff point if these terminology is to mean anything. Exactly. I mean you, you I mean you could you I mean you're c was saying before we started recording, like it feels like you're uh sometimes when you're introduced to Marxism it's like these two solid warring factions you can discreetly yeah. work out and you can come up with some de- definitions that allow for a discrete definition of um one grouping or another, but when you're trying to do quite a detailed reading of society, particularly from a political perspective, particularly when you're trying to work out um the best way to deploy whatever resources you have to work out who you could actually recognize a common interest with or who you can't who you who who would those groups in society who you will never share a common interest with necessarily yeah. if yeah i mean, supposing that you're yeah. um from the working class and you're trying to strengthen a working class position in a potentially revolutionary direction kind of thing. Yeah, Um, yeah. You could take the easy way out and find a really strict cutoff point, but it's not necessarily going to wade you if you're actually trying to deploy Marxism in a way which is going to allow you to interact with the world in a productive manner. Yeah,
0: and in a political manner, absolutely. And yeah, so I guess that's why when you always hear people talk about the professional managerial class, right? I mean, what that is is basically people who are not the ones reaping all of the rewards, right, that the capitalist class does, but they're the ones whose interests are tied with the capitalist class. And it was funny because I was reading this, um, and the day before I went in for a shift at work, and at work it was kind of a bit of a shit show because, like, my supervisor was getting into it with our managers, and the managers were complaining about the supervisor. And, like, it was it was really interesting because I was having a conversation with a guy that I work with about um, how understaffed we were. And I was like, "Well, how do you think it works here? Is it just that like the head offices say like here's X amount of money you can spend that on um, how many people you need to hire to the managers, right? And they that's all they can do." it was like, "We just did not have enough people to to basically run run the shop." Mm-hmm. Um, and he was basically saying, "Yeah, that's exactly the way it works, right?" So I, I don't know. There are these tensions between the managerial class and um, the actual like capitalist class, I suppose. Definitely between, like, supervisors and managers. Um, but it is also funny because I think you could really make an effort to explain to some managers that, you know, your interests might not be as uh, divided as they're made out to be, right? Because the store would work so much better if they would just let people run it who worked there, right? Um, it would it, We would know exactly what we needed. We would stop getting, you know, stock that we don't need. We would not be understaffed. We wouldn't be understocked um at least you'd hope so i don't know i, it, I this was all running through my head because i obviously was reading this and i was like oh the professional managerial class and um workers you know never the two mm-hmm. shall meet in terms of ideology or whatever um but um i don't know i don't know what do you think about that i mean, I mean he, it def- seems like- he, he
1: definitely does suggest that like um what he quotes as the new working class yeah um i mean in seven, he he sees it as like growing yeah. but now we've gotten to a point where really quite substantive in some respects um, or in some industries kind of thing although yeah. a whole industry is composed of i mean, thinking of tech or sure or, I don't know. Yeah. but he does think it's a real it's a real uh, it's a place for where he he poses it as then and perhaps still now in some respects a, a real open question for marxist sociology or political sociology, like I don't know whether hesitant to call them a new class, but this is element of capitalist contemporary capitalist society. Like, which way will they fall? and like, yeah, exactly, um, exactly. What, how can you? How can you? How could you use? What that? interests can you appeal to? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's interesting as well because I mean, I suppose the question is like um, the managers, management seems to have like multiple aims, right? Is it there to facilitate? It's, it's. I mean, in some ways, it's there to discipline you, right? Mm. Which is, which is a way to. Um, to make the business more productive. They get more work out of you because they're always exactly. watching kind of thing. Yeah. Um but at the same time in terms of like having the right stock or just yeah. organising a shop floor or a supermarket floor or like rotaring Like yeah. that nonsense about like um uh in in certain service sectors like Rotering happens every week and you never get a consistent rotor. It's always moved right. around and it's seemingly just yeah. to keep you on your toes because you could always be asked to work at any given time kind yeah. of thing. Not necessarily productive in the sense of like, if you gave somebody a better work-life balance, they might might well work yeah. more productively or think more favourably of their workplace kind of thing. Right, so there yeah. is this conflict of like, are are you are they they might be like just trying to extract as much there's the whip hand kind of thing yeah. but there is also like just the practical organ are they there to just practically organize mm. more smooth running yeah um, and well, in, some, in some respects there is always a place perhaps for like i mean at some point it would be really nice it would be good we'd like to get into topics like planning and uh, exactly and uh sort of like cybernetics and these yeah. kind of things like yeah, what yeah. kind of structures of organization what kind of um systems theories yeah um do you need for a smooth running of a system in some in some respects maybe it's just like laissez-faire leave it to the the workers to organize themselves and but how much like um, command structure do you need and you definitely don't want that command structure which is there just simply to like uh, exactly to discipline for the sake of it that's what i quite often experience my management is doing just disciplining for the sake of it just they, they, they don't they're trying to work out what their role is and they just sort of misfire quite often in their attempts yeah. to like
0: uh... well and that's the thing too i mean that's the difference between a manager and a supervisor right i mean like a manager sees um you know i'm, not, I'm about to be like pro supervisor <laughs> i'm not saying anything about supervisors but i'm saying like oh my supervisor is pretty cool if you're listening um i'm saying like managers all they see is you know you open they're in their office and then it closes right i mean obviously like a good manager and you know i do have a pretty good managers and stuff it's like they they're about the shop and they you know help when they need to and stuff but really what they see at the end of the day is oh we sold a grand worth of stuff today right yes and it's like so that's like when you come up to them and you have problems about like hey you know we're out of this and the customer really wants it and they paid for it or whatever they'll just the answer that is just like okay whatever give them a refund give them whatever they want as long as it's like a less price so there is like a hands-off approach when you need them to be Uh hands-on and a hands-on approach when it's like just what are you doing get out of here you know what i mean um, anyway, away we'll, you
1: away. But, it's, but it's interesting. But you make an interesting point that, like, when it comes down to it, mm. they're just there to facilitate the extraction of wealth exactly. from you upwards. Exactly. In, in some well, that's the thing. Kind of like, like, their bosses. Um, I mean, their are salaried in some respects as well. What exactly. they're, they're getting paid for? I mean, yeah. but this is the thing. Like, what? How much do they contribute to the production of a product that? Yeah. The, wh- whatever product that you are making, how much did they contribute to the ability to mm. to have that product? exactly valorize itself by selling yeah they do make a contribution so um yeah they 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 their allegiance might be to the service of capital kind of thing but um Mm. and simply under a definition of um helping capital create more capital if if you if you if you work for a salary and your work involves you fulfilling that process of uh, capital expanding does that make you a worker I think yeah. that's that's the that's the crux of the problem he's exactly. presenting kind of thing right? exactly and if not we need to we need to draw a line and this is where we get back to all this sort of scale of regard yeah business like um well and i think but if yeah if i mean i think it does pose the question of do you even need to um draw do... a line i think presumably yeah. he's saying yes yeah but on a but on a, a ta- on a tactical basis. It's an open question for me. I think, like, if if you're simply if you're engaged in a struggle and it's an interest, if 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 you want to find allies for your struggle, mm. um, well, anybody's a possibility. I exactly,
0: suppose. exactly. And check this out for a transition. I think that it's all going to come down to uh, a rebirth of culture, and it's all going to come down to rebranding what you're doing. because you can't just be like, oh, we're looking for the workers, dude. Like, you know, fuck <laughs> the managers or whatever. Like, we don't need bosses uh-huh. because you're going to need some form of like well, everything would operate better if we did Uh, it like this, if you uh, want to get those people on board. uh, And uh, uh, we're going to bring out that classic word, uh, because he talks about it later in the chapter. I think this has a lot to do with ideology. uh, Look at that. Um, I'm just going to quote him here. He says, Ideology for Marx and Engels is precisely the attempt to universalize and give the ideal form to what are no more than limited class-bound ideas and interests. It is in this sense that they use the word ideology pejoratively meaning is a false representation of reality for most people right because i mean like if you are of the ruling class it's like this is the world for me this Mm -hmm. is you know the ideology that we've created is how not only things work for us but it's like how we want things to work Mm -hmm. you know um so after some of our conversations last week i have one picked up some uh lewis um and so we'll talk about that i'm sure in a later episode but it really got me thinking about the role of ideology in um creating a society right and how it really i mean i guess yeah exactly what he says right there the current ideology of the times in terms of capitalism and everything is just completely class bound because it's not in anyone else's best interests Mm -hmm. you know as we're saying with the managers it's not really in their best interests unless they're happy with like you know whatever like mathematically the lowest salary possible to keep them on board is you know um to make them feel better than everybody else um it's not really anybody else's best interest either Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Got me thinking about the, uh, uh, what is it? RSAs and, uh, is it ISAs? Yeah. ISAs. I, yeah. Ideological. Oh, yes, state yeah. Apparatus yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. State apparatus.
1: Yeah. repressive state apparatus. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know very much about that at all. We'll get there. We'll get, okay. we'll get okay, there. Okay, okay, Hopefully okay. one day we'll get okay, there. Okay. Okay, um, okay. But it's interesting, um, that quote that you make from the book, he's talking, mm-hmm. that's from the section where he's moved on to talking about the consciousness of classes. Exactly. Sort of like, uh, some respects the subjective element, mm-hmm. um, what, how are people thinking about themselves and there he's talking about the bourgeois class like the ruling class yeah um they have a consciousness um and he's defining it there as like false consciousness in some respects it's false because they ideologically believe that um what serves them is the universal interest kind of thing yeah um which lets which is going to let them down in some respects like mm. um it is a false understanding of how the world works. Yeah. In some respects, they're um, are unwilling to grapple with some of the questions raised by something like Marxism. Yeah, I um, because yeah. because it's a sort of a fundamental attack on the 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 modus operandi. And yeah,
0: the... I'll, I I I don't know. I'll push back on that a little. Sure. I do kind of think it's a little like naive in 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 some sense because I think yeah for probably the majority of of um, of where again we're just going to fall back on that <laughs> the cat just opened the door that was weird <laughs> i was like is that the wind <laughs> um again we're just going to fall back on the the words bourgeoisie and proletariat right because i mean for most of the bourgeoisie is basically just saying that um uh this is a false consciousness right and that they it, maybe if they were given the full the full ideas of everything the full facts they might not actually believe this maybe but i kind of feel like for the upper echelons that's not true they know that it's not you know mm-hmm. if we're talking about like post-war robber barons we're talking about like the rockefellers or something they 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 knew that that, mm. that ideology mm. was fake and everything and you, you know there's no way that's the case for like the the top right the people actually making the decisions the people were actually like well what about if we invaded libya so we could get back all of our oil right i mean like the ideology i don't think really the point that he's making i think maybe for like their families and for like most of the bourgeoisie I, you know but i don't know it, it's a false consciousness to a certain extent mm-hmm. i guess i'll just say that
1: i mean it's it's an argument that i've gotten into a few times with different people and i go back and forth on it and there are different positions to hold um the question basically is how much of a villain can you make of mm. the ruling class are they just fulfilling a um socially required function yeah um well, or think- are they? In, I mean, it, to really personalize it or to humanize it, are they really? Are they doing evil? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, like, like um, I've had conversations with my dad in the past, and he's kind of like, "No, they're just bastards." <laughs> kind of thing. Like, um But well, maybe he probably he probably copped to thinking yeah. that if he hadn't said it. I would. Um, I would say. But I- like, but that, but I've I've always sort of like for for a time I was very much more on the structural train of like, yeah. um, it's a feature of structural relations. There was a necessity to act in x y and z way but how how consciously able how are able are they to be conscious of what the structure of capitalist society demands of them yeah when they're sometimes not even willing to ex- say that capitalism is a thing with sort of bounded historical yeah. existence kind of thing or yeah like, yeah um, i tend to think not even willing to recognize that it doesn't it doesn't um represent human nature in some way but simply a uh, a historically bounded and contingent set of yeah. social relations
0: yeah I tend to think that that is again kind of the issue with just saying bourgeoisie and proletariat and ruling class and exploited class or something because it is just a little bit too vague and I think you lose something in understanding of the way actual power structures work um in just saying that this is a false consciousness Mm -hmm. right because i think yeah it's probably a false consciousness for like the duke or whatever that lives in the local castle which Mm -hmm. i can't believe i'm actually saying that's a thing that exists exists here but you know it's probably like that for say like the dude who owns like you know some of the biggest Mm -hmm. uh maybe like law firms on wall street or something like that Mm -hmm. but it's definitely not something it's not a false consciousness for somebody who's on the council for foreign relations you know what i mean and i think that there's a pretty big difference between between those
1: two types of people mm-hmm. and I yeah I don't know I mean there's different d- there's d- different levels of ruling class consciousness right mm-hmm. like um, they have some sense of their interests in which they want to defend yeah. and um from can probably quite readily unite to face down certain threats sure but at the same time the bourgeois class is um divided along as many lines as the working classes mm-hmm. um there are different types of capital there are different types of way of making your money um yeah i mean you can see it in terms of something like the the brexit debate right yeah like financial capital totally on board like farage like a a city trader background like they shouldn't personalize it as individuals like it does seem in general as well like very much more comfortable with the idea of brexit Mm. than um capitalists who are actually still involved in the production of some kind of yeah. commodity, yeah. where they need the free movement of labor, they need the free movement of yeah. uh, capital that the European Union provides. Yeah. So they can't they, the 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 ruling class doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily necessarily share an interest in all cases, kind of. Thing. Yeah, um, yeah. And we, he, does also, he does also say, just as a sort of historical okay. side note, that usually quite can be quite historically short sighted. Sure. Like, um, can. Uh, fight a corner when there's really no need to fight something far better to concede yeah. a certain reform than yeah. fight it to the bitter end kind of thing like, yeah yeah um and yes they don't necessarily like
0: Although I will say, I will say, it's not like we're, we're definitely not trying to make the point that, you know, there are like splits in the ruling class ideology of like, like when it comes to Brexit, obviously there are like some people who are like, eh, maybe not. And so, you know, some people in the ruling class are like, well, why not? That could be cool. Sure. It all does come down to capital and it all co- does come down to what's going to make the most money. And the difference is. On an individual basis, of what's going to make them the most money? It is still the same ideology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just I mean, it's, I'm not.
1: I'm not in any way suggesting that one of those camps of capital ought to be something that we, that exactly. the working class, would ally with. Exactly. But at the same time, to recognise those fractions or f- mm. factions, fractures, uh, <laughs> fractious factions, uh, fractious factional conflicts um, is is productive as a reading of the, the the political circumstances under which you operate, kind of thing. Mm. Maybe. May, I mean, maybe it can give you a a groundwork for how to how to act yeah 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 Um, so
0: i guess just to um round out a couple more of the key points that he makes here he does talk about again about consciousness about how do you need a political party to be do you need the working class organized into a political party for it to officially receive uh the platinum trophy gold medals of class conscious you know what i mean um, do you need that? what would it what would that even look like? I've always been kind of interested in that idea and I kind of I kind of understand what he's saying now about why you would need a political party and it is interesting, right? Because I mean that's kind of where Marxism as a political theory obviously breaks with like anarchism and stuff like that because they say, here's what politics is, here's what class is, here's where all this conflict comes from, but where we'll stop is, you need to engage in the political process to get things done, right? Mm-hmm. It, politics is a sham. We all want it to be over with. No one wants politics. It sucks, right? But um, you do need to engage with it if you want to get something done, mm-hmm. which is interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, obviously, you when you're first introduced to the ideas, you don't want to admit to that. You want to just be like, nah, man, like the whole system's messed up. Like, let's just go for it. Let's just get rid of it completely, right? But- this is i think kind of showing some of the maturity of more orthodox marxist thought that's like no you do need to engage with the political spectrum if you ever want to get anything done mm-hmm. you know yeah
1: should we eject the cat
0: should we eject the cat i think some purring's going to come up on the microphone okay. but i think okay. that's fine
1: yeah yeah we could pick up some could deliberately record some cat noises <laughs> yeah some lion noises yeah yeah. yeah. some lion roars. um so yeah so i mean like what you've raised there is we've already t- we've talked about the Class consciousness of the ruling class. Mm. Um, there's the question of the class consciousness of the, the working class is left open as of yet. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. What is the nature of that consciousness? Yeah, and he, he does. Did, he does
0: also just make like another, uh, just like a minor point where he basically just says all These big points about I oh, you need to political party, you need all this stuff, you need to engage, you need to actually get stuff done. But he also just goes, Well, you can just consider yourself class conscious if you understand the problems and you know what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Which the
1: last part of that sense, you know what needs no, to be done, done quite is daunting. Like, yeah, yeah, you just get quite like a like a yeah. sound effect <laughs> of like, Oh, god, yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he, I mean, he, he says that class consciousness for Marx, all it really means is you you get it. recognize that your interest is in the overthrow of capitalism, yeah, you're true mean, which, says, which says which is quite a lot. Mm. Um, but also leaves a great deal open. Mm. Big um, Ten. Yeah. <laughs> the DSA Big Ten. Uh, well, you're not allowed to talk about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've oh got my lawyers.
1: They're shaking <laughs> but, their heads. The, But no, but like, um, he suggests that for Marx, that's basically a thing left open for the working class movement that would develop. Mm. Like, he says, like, in some respects, like, later Marxists have seen in the idea of consciousness as something like a, a catechism or yeah. a, that's what he that's the word he uses like mm. something that's really doctrinal um you have to sp- fulfill specific functions to uh consider a, a, a collection of working class class access to be class conscious and he's suggesting that for marx for marx gave uh, absolutely no um mm. gu- outline guideline stipulations on what class consciousness means yeah. other than um deciding that like capitalism and its continued existence was so injurious to your well-being that you were going to have to get rid of it. But that's good though um, in a certain extent. Yeah, right? that's what I'm saying like yeah. like um the history of marxism has seen all these unfortunate like uh trips or <laughs> digressions into like trying to define what exactly consciousness is. I mean, he even suggests that like he he yeah, so so he, so he, so he so he expands that definition for Marx of consciousness to mean revolutionarily class yeah. conscious yeah um but then makes a distinction that that you should not confuse being revolutionary rarely class conscious to mean uh insurrection exactly you don't have to be Putting like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It, if you're because i mean there are some there were some uh wings of left-wing um communism yeah that like for whom there is no class conscious proletariat until you're in an ins- insurrectionary moment kind of thing uh, yeah, yeah. um which uh, which Wild, is something which yeah. is something that i've sort of held with in the past sure. um i mean it's cool it's, yeah 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 pretty cool pretty cool it's pretty
0: cool but like imagine standing up to even like local enforcement yeah
1: yeah, yeah there, you know what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah but if you yeah if you hinge all of your hopes on but yeah for, yeah for those groups i mean like the existence of the continued existence of like institutional representation of labor Sure. in the form of trade unions or whatever, is just reinforcing uh, the relationships of capital. It's only like an imminent break with everything. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, like, I don't know. I quite like a kind of like destroy everything. My my general My general political outlook is destroy everything. I mean, that would be great. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would
0: be great. That's the thing. It's like, that would be great. But it's like, what? at what point do you need to have the more mature, like, okay, engage with politics? to sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah. And,
1: and coming right around to it, like, he's like... He does he, he obviously shows that he he takes some examples both from Marx and from lemming Lemmin, <laughs> from Lemming from Lemming <laughs> from, from Yemen from <laughs> Lenin uh, to to showcases where they were both quite happy to get sort of down into the muck of bourgeois politics like yeah. engage in ways that you can um, because it's it's not a matter of um, uh, what you are doing it's a matter of like. It, to what end are you directing your politics kind of thing exactly. it's possible to um engage and to fight to fight for things that uh, somebody more militant might consider to be reforms but yeah it, it is your it, it is your uh, political strategy uh one which intends to ameliorate the worst elements of capitalism or to actually like uh, take steps toward yeah it's overthrow now, no, I feel like I've just said something which was meant to be very matter of fact, and it's actually very broad. Uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. like um, you could, you could, you could, you could pretend that you were uh, uh, on a revolutionary road, uh, yeah. but, 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 but through reforms never really advance. Or vice versa. Let's see someone do to... that.
0: That'd be cool. Someone who's saying, no, oh, I'm just here for just reform. For, for, for reform," reforms, but like so I'm a secret.
1: <clears throat> I mean, but, but that, I mean, but that, but that was the, that was a secret. I mean, it was my secret hope with like john mcdonald and jeremy Corbyn yeah. right like um could have been yeah, yeah, yeah. i still hold out hope yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: um but it, he does it, that whole idea of reform versus revolution kind of made me think about like okay it, it reforms are obviously something that are if i see someone fighting for reforms i'm obviously like cool good for, that's great yeah I yeah, love yeah reforms love yeah, yeah. a good reform yeah. and reforms are badly yeah. badly needed safe lives exactly yeah. but i think that the point that he's Maybe not that he's making, but that needs to be made is that once you pursue a solely reformist agenda in government, then you're just going to be trapped in that forever. You're just once you become a reformist party, you cross the line at some point into just this whirlpool of just engaging with capitalist structures and um, everything that goes along with that. And yeah, I think you can in some in. And to that extent, lose something of
1: the revolutionary outlook that you might have, sure. because yeah, I yeah.
0: think that that can just be so soul-sucking and so hard and
1: so yeah, difficult yeah. to and do. You, I mean, obviously, you get stuck into a very s- small in in mm. in world historic time scales four or five years political terms. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah, 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 or in an American context, where you get two years, where you you functionally have. You potentially functionally have some kind of like, yeah, uh, democratic majority before it's sort of like exactly. taken away the next election kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, but, a, but, as, but yeah. But like, yeah. I always i i i i always i did have some faith in um, the sort of idea of like non-reformist reforms that were being yeah. banded around by the last. Uh, Leadership of the Labour Party, or people associated those, with it. Some of those can, were, like
0: reforms were huge yeah, if they yeah, could have yeah. gotten past. Yeah, like yeah. about shifting ownership of 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 um, you know some corporate structures sure, to workers. Yeah, yeah. That would have been yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah.
1: Or if you can like permanently decommodify absolutely certain sectors of like yeah yeah. Yeah, I mean you can cease call the, that. A reform. I mean to say, ceases, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's barely a reform, is it? It's a cease to cease, I mean, it was yeah. it was clearly quite revolutionary, revolutionary yeah. in mm. the eyes of our uh, class opposition, exactly. Um, and its agents. Well, so is, um, so
0: it's like anything. So it's like making sure, it a digital, yeah, 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 you know yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do, I do want to go back real quick. If sure, uh, you're all right with this, yeah, just I to think. the idea that you brought up of the problem of defining a working class consciousness, right? So I want to quote him here. He says one consequence of this is to turn meaning defining uh, class consciousness is to turn class consciousness into a catechismal orthodoxy departure and descent from which becomes grave and punishable offenses. Another consequence is to enhance tremendously the role of the keepers of the orthodoxy, namely the party leaders and their appointees. If revolutionary consciousness can be so precisely defined, then there must be an authority to define it, and then to decide when and in what ways it must be modified. So going back to the idea of the fact that you can still go see Lenin see. <laughs> in a little glass box, <laughs> um, I, I suppose that this really does point to the necessity of any kind of definitions that you're coming to in Marxism, with a chapter full of definitions, need to be absolutely dynamic and they need to be fluid. Otherwise, you're not going to get anywhere. Marxism needs to be dynamic and it needs to not get stuck in this idea of... Because he kind of, in this chapter, he does kind of go in a little bit on the Communist Manifesto about the line of, like, society splitting up more and more into two hostile camps. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Yeah, it's an interesting, like, correction mm -hmm. that he makes to what I would have read to that. Like, he's saying hostile camps, but he's not saying those camps are classes. Exactly. Uh, Exactly, yeah. And so, like, the, the... the composition of those cl- camps might contain, I mean obviously like clearly it implies like certain class interests are, will be on one side and a certain class interests will be represented on the other mm. um, but, uh, mm. but who falls on what side of that line who recognises their interest to be with the continuation of capitalism or who recognises their interest to lie best with the possibilities of a more emancipated society um or less alienated and exactly um yeah, yeah. It, it is an open question yeah. that's that's the sort of like uh, that's the, the political di- avenue or direction that we're yeah facing down kind of thing yeah
0: and that, uh, that quote really does get you to think and this is going down some alternate history stuff but it's like if you need to define working class and ruling class and even just class and conflict and all of these things that it seemed necessary in revolutions like the russian revolution or you know others other socialist uh, revolutions cuba or um, really anywhere i guess if you have to make those definitions and really stick to an orthodoxy are those socialist revolutions kind of doomed in one way or another to fail because you do get um well you're not obviously going to get this nothing's uh it like is going for sure to happen or anything like that but um you you, obviously in a lot of those situations you did get um cults of personality sure and even when you didn't get that you did get uh, i'm sure there's a phrase for this i just can't think of it cults of personality around ideology which is not dynamic at all right yeah yeah yeah. um yeah it just got you to think are those first crop second crop third crop of socialist revolutions were they doomed to fail you know what i mean um cat scratching the couch Good, but yeah, I mean, I don't
1: know. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I how do you would, make something dynamic? I, Yeah, I would, um, we would need to dig into what really happened in mm. some of those revolutionary moments and to try and find a way of having a good idea of how the people engaged in those struggles actually conceived of themselves. How, um, because he, he did, he like, he, the, one of the points that he makes is tangential to what you're trying to suggest is that, like, um. Those agents in a revolutionary situation don't have some kind of like pure consciousness. Like yeah. you're never going to achieve a, po- a point where everybody's sort of like synthesized to the same like, exactly same idea. You have lots of people who are like like political situations are are messy, and people yeah. like um, and I don't have a good enough handle on how um, what happened in various revolutionary situations. Mm. Um, it would seem like every time. You, as you say or you're correct to say that whenever you get to the point where some kind of orthodoxy needs to be enforced or strictly defined you've lost that revolutionary energy that was present exactly, yeah. in 1917 or or yeah. any other kind of thing and but the, but the, but the, i mean like the um the def- the defeat of the 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 communist revolution in russia when it happened and why and i mean it's a uh, quite a long it's quite a, it's quite a com- it will be quite complicated, complicated
0: sure yeah and I, I don't want to downplay like any other external factors like foreign pressure um <laughs> which is like the main reason most of these regimes have um fallen apart um it's interesting when i was back home most recently i was talking about like latin american um leftist revolutions um and someone i was talking about it with said something to the effect of um yeah, you know, I mean, all of that sounds great. We were, like, talking about Allende and stuff, and he was like, but, you know, I do feel like a lot of Central and South American and Caribbean, like, leftist revolutions, you know, there's a lot to be said about, like, authoritarianism down there. And it's like, well, okay, if we're going to talk about authoritarianism, sure some of that might have to do with what Miliband calls the catechismal orthodoxy, right? But it also has to do with, if you're not, if you're someone like Allende, you're just going to lose power pretty quickly Mm -hmm, as soon mm -hmm. as the first coup pops up, or, like, Harbenz or somebody in Guatemala, somebody like that. Too big attempt. (laughs) <laughs> exactly too big a time exactly or if you're someone like Fidel and Shea and you're just like no you know I don't know it's, yeah I mean I, I, it, all that is to yeah, say yeah, I, yeah. I didn't want to like imply that it is all just this cult of personality because there are obviously other factors sure but that is a huge um issue obviously in confronting any kind of politics within the socialist realm right having to deal with that orthodoxy and what that means sure with, yeah, yeah, and yeah. trying to be dynamic yeah
1: yeah how do yeah how do you I mean, really, what we're talking about is how do you dis- distill? How do you instill uh, a strong enough democratic tradition that yeah, that you can yeah yeah yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess we'll we should probably try and wrap it up. But um, one one more quote I want to read. Maybe we can just go out on this is. He says, in other words, revolutionary consciousness is not some kind of Marxist state of grace, which once achieved is total and irreversible. It is a certain understanding of the nature of the social order and of what needs to be done about it. So we kind of already touched on that, but I think that's a good place to have parting thoughts on because, you know, he spends this whole chapter being like, this is what Marx said. It is a little bit dynamic, but you need to understand class. You need to understand conflict. You need to understand all of these definitions. It can't be the liberal definition. It's got to be the Marxist definition. But then at the end of the day, it's like, understand this. Get it? You're on your way to being class conscious, but there's no capital C, capital C class consciousness, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um It is just this. You're never, idea. Going,
1: to, never going to be the paragon of virtuous, exactly kind of like exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah so yeah, in a hundred years, everything that we believe is going to be like <laughs> exactly horribly out exactly. of date. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When <laughs> you we have, have property. Like, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but the, the, yeah, they the, he, does, he does he does compare some sort of readings of um of class consciousness to a kind of like. Hegelian unfolding of an idea. Um but he he saps back at that saying that like it's it's entirely a historical phenomenon. It's not it's not something that's the, you cannot reach a position whereby you stand outside of history. Exactly. Um you are you're sort of stuck in the position that you're in. Mm. Uh you're you're faced with the class forces and the dynamics that you exist around. Mm. Um and you just have to make your best effort to exactly. work out in what direction you like yeah flail to yeah. advance toward communism <laughs> exactly, flailing, exactly. Toward communism. flailing towards
0: communism <laughs> which in itself is some 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 uh et cetera, et cetera blah 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 something something an auxiliary statement of them. some yeah. kind yeah. <laughs> um still haven't really done much in terms of setting up any kind of pages for any of this we don't have anything to plug no, no, no. um but hopefully by the time this goes up we will and there'll be links and everything um this is pretty good yeah, yeah yeah about almost an hour and 15 of recording time in terms of one chapter um cool
1: solid and there's quite a lot of things that we've played. Like yeah but i think we've had yeah yeah exactly we've had a conversation
0: we've had a conversation i think it went well hopefully mm-hmm. i didn't sound like too much of an idiot mm-hmm. um, was,
1: was the lighting much more to your it your is mind? actually i think yeah. maybe it's just
0: because it's darker outside now but it's a little bit more like an interrogation because there's just the one <laughs> okay, light directly okay, okay. above me so i I'm did a little, little bit you a second light but we didn't we yeah didn't. the second light the I'm second... almost <laughs> made me more nervous okay. somehow okay. um, maybe
1: we're just podcast in the dark maybe that's <laughs> yeah, the answer yeah, exactly <laughs> only podcast with the lights off yeah. um, <laughs> okay so uh,
0: on that note on that fun note um, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is auxiliary statements, statements. hopefully we made some thank um, you for listening and, all the way to the end if you have yeah if you have if there is anyone listening um, and our uh, hi mom if you are listening yeah, that's all your statements I'm Jack. Done. And see you Dan. next time. Dan and the cat. See you Thank next you. time. Woo! Oh, Music you heard this episode is music to kill bad people too by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. You can check out this song and more on their Bandcamp at kinggizzard.bandcamp.com. If you like this episode, be sure and follow us up at auxstatements Aux Statements on Twitter. That's a u x statements on twitter.com. And be sure and tune in next episode for more commie discussion. Till next time.